Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot, Neil. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 196 of the No Encore Music Podcast. This is a two-part episode and this is the first part of it. This is a rundown of the top 20 songs of 2019 as decided by the No Encore team. Now, the No Encore team is, of course, me, your host, Dave Hanready, and Craig Fitzpatrick and Dahi Droni. And the way that we've come to this this year is much like last year. We had a situation where we kind of all put forward tracks that we loved and albums that we loved and then it's a case of trying to find some kind of diplomatic way to represent the three of us and represent the show as a collective, then what would happen is that we would sit down together, we'd run down the songs, of course, which come from our kind of collective hive mind, as noted, and then we would have a debate about the top five. So we would know 20 down through six in terms of uh, like an actual order, like kind of like a league table. And then the top five songs, the top five albums uh, would have point denominations, but we didn't know them. We had an independent adjudicator tally them up for us. Obviously a very important job. And then it's a case of having kind of like a choice music prize style debate with with five and seeing what comes fifth and what comes first and what is overall song or album of the year. Now, every now and then, um, tragedy strikes, and that is unfortunately what has happened here. So I'm speaking to you now. I'm I'm recording in my uh, bedroom in Castlemock. And uh, on a very nice low winter sun Saturday, it's very cold and the sun's about to go down. So it's all very atmospheric and wistful and wintry. And I love that. I just don't like when it fucking rains because who does? And it's nice today, so that's good. But why why am I here and why, why aren't you hearing any of the voices and why does this sound like it's not in the studio? 
Well, it's because we did record these episodes, and we recorded the first one, the songs one first, and we went to save it, and then it deleted itself. And we don't quite know how it happened, we don't quite know why it happened, and it's very upsetting, and we're not happy about it. But the episode is gone, and it made no sense logically to just recreate the hour and a half that we'd spent talking and debating and having the chats. And also, we just physically didn't have the time to do so. So... The only option I could think of was that I would just do this episode by myself, which is what I'm doing. And uh, it's kind of nerve wracking because, yeah, I mean, in the three and a half years that I've been doing the show, I've never done a solo episode. Um, I've done interviews, of course, but I've never just been me for an entire show. So I guess I just need to qualify a few things. First of all, I don't know how this is going to go. This could be terrible. Second of all, um, I'm hearing it right now that like I'm kind of doing that breathing thing that I don't like the sound of, and there's going to be a bit of that. And also, uh, I don't really have a script, you know? So, I mean, and I'm not in a proper studio. So I would like you to hopefully um, not turn off the episode, and I'd like you to stay with me. And if you do, uh, I can only promise you that I'll do my very best. If this episode is a write-off, well, then I can only apologize in advance, and I guess we'll see how it goes. So, I guess, without further ado... I've mentioned a few times that the show will be taking a break from January, and that is the case. So the first thing I want to do is thank everyone who's listened to the show all year. I want to thank everyone who's guested on the show all year. We've had some incredible guests. I've talked previously on the show about why I'm taking that break, and it's mainly due to kind of, ironically enough, um, becoming sick of the sound of my own voice. So that's why this episode is particularly nerve-wracking, I think, as well, on top of that. Um, Essentially... Uh, I think the show could use a bit of a refresh and I would like to find ways of improving it. So I would like to maybe change the format a bit. I don't know what that would entail. I need to have those conversations. And the plan as of now is to at least take January off. That may continue. It may extend. I'm not entirely sure. I intend to put out interviews from this year that I enjoyed in the feed and keep it going that way. And also no popcorn or film related sidebar thing will continue. So that will be fun, I hope. But... For now, yeah, the show's going to take a bit of a break, and I guess we'll see what that means. So what I would like is, if you like the show, um, contact me. Like, give me feedback. Let me know what you think and what you like about the show and what you don't like about the show. And if I'm one of the things that you don't like about the show, just tell me in a very polite fashion, please. Um, essentially, I don't know, man. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a fucking total luxury to be able to do this show. It's kind of ridiculous that like the big problem I'm having in my life on this particular day is that, oh my God, my podcast deleted itself. Like, you know, it's not that big of a thing. Um, but obviously it's something that you pour an awful lot of creative energy into. And I've been doing so for so long now that I've just hit that kind of wall. And I don't want to be negative either about the show because I always said I would stop it if it, if it, if it stopped being fun. And it did stop being fun for me this year. And that's a reflection on solely on myself. Um, it's a lot of hard work and I want that hard work to be rewarding. And it is rewarding in lots of ways. But it's also just, I've kind of hit that moment where I'm like, okay, I just need to take a fucking break and refresh. And that's what I'm going to do. And people have been in touch and they said really nice things. And I really appreciate that. I've, I've had some people reach out to me and say beautiful things. And it's great. Like, it's it, it's it's amazing to, to know that. Um, but I don't know. So if, if you do want the show to continue, um, I want it to continue. I do. But I just want to change it up a bit. And I want to see where I'm at in a few months' time or, or at least a month's time or whatever. So there's no real deadline timeline on this situation, but definitely taking a bit of a breather. And yeah, that's the plan. I mean, there's a lot we could do with it. And maybe we need to just be a bit more creative and maybe we could be a bit more ambitious. I just find that the week to week kind of grind of doing news and doing songs and doing an album 
it's an awful lot of prep and it's it's an awful lot of kind of active listening and trying to negotiate your way around that. And I think the three of us have kind of found that to be the case because you're doing it all the time. There's no off season. There's no, you know, there's no three month break um, and whatever. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we could find some way of doing it where it's a bit more conversational and it's kind of focusing on things that aren't just current. But then I do know that people like the show because it's current. I know people like the news section. I know people like the songs of the week section. I know people like the album section. And I know some people don't like any of those sections. So ultimately, yeah, maybe maybe it's staring me in the face. Maybe I need to just completely switch this thing up. But for the meantime, I guess we'll see. Um, I do want to kind of end this weird rambly preamble on a positive note and just once again reiterate that I am very, very grateful for everyone who listens to the show and, you know, shares it around and uh, had it fucking pop up in their Spotify wrapped and all that kind of stuff. It, it Like, it's it's really, really nice. Um, I do love doing it and I want to love doing it again and that's the point of this. So one thing I do absolutely love doing is lists and it is listmas, of course. Um, you know, you spend the whole year waiting for... Uh, this to come along and you get the chance to kind of, you know, see what was the best and what was the worst. And some people don't like it. Some people think lists are just stupid and, you know, it's not fair to pit music against itself and artists against each other. And there's definitely value in that. But also, if you're someone who subscribes to the idea of criticism and, you know, like just falling in love with music and you want to kind of promote it and you want to have your personal favorites, well, then that's kind of what shows like this are for. So with that in mind, uh, let's just jump into the top 20 songs. So the top 20 songs that we have here for No Encore, like I say, were kind of compiled between myself, Craig, and Dahi. And so that means it's going to be particularly tricky in some cases, because there'll be a couple of songs here that I'm like, nah, I'm not as crazy on that one, but Craig loves it, or Dahi loves it. So I think what I'm going to do with this list is, where possible, I might just use it for like jumping off points and just maybe kind of see what kind of inspiration hits me. I'm also in that weird kind of mindset where having talked about these songs less than 24 hours ago, I'm, and then doing the albums episode, which, oh yeah, I should note the albums episode is, is fine. Um, we did record it. It is safe and it's coming. Um, it'll come out a few days after this one. And thankfully that one did save properly. And we basically like hooked up a backup recorder to the whole thing and, uh, spoke for who I think it was in the end, I think we're looking at like an episode that's going to be north of two hours, maybe even two hours, 20 minutes. Um, it got pretty fucking heated and it was exhausting. <laughs> um, it was fun to do, but, it, but Jesus, by the end of it, we were just so subdued and it ran, we ran into the early hours of the morning and we were like, I guess we're not going to the pub then. Okay. So yeah, like Craig's working today. He's gone to Galway for a gig and I'm chilling out at home doing this, trying my best to do this thing. So it's been a it's been a strange thing. It was supposed to be this big celebratory, amazing night, and it was fun. I mean, like like I'm I'm painting a picture of it being miserable. It really wasn't. But having gone from the shock of like, oh for fuck's sake, we've just lost all that work to, okay, now let's get into the nitty gritty about albums. Ooh, <laughs> it was a somber taxi ride home. Um, and somber is actually kind of a thing that is filtered throughout the, this list as well. I mean, like when we when we got the results back, so to speak, and we saw the top five songs in particular. Uh, on our WhatsApp group, we were just like, fuck, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we are a bunch of brooding young men. So I guess, yeah, no further teasing. Let's dive in and to see how we can negotiate this thing. And I'll do my very best to host and try and uh, provide some insight and try and uh, say nice things about some of the songs that I'm not so crazy on. Because that is an important thing. Last kind of fucking annoying disclaimer, last tease. I, it comes up a bit in the albums episode as well. I think it's important to have a list that generates debate. I, I mean, I think it'd be really, really boring if um, if myself and Craig and Dahi 
were just sitting around a table and being like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Like, this is so great. Isn't it just so great, guys? Oh, it's just so great. Like, like that's just dull. Like, I, I don't like, I, I'm all for championing, of course, but I just think that ultimately it's good to have debate. It's good to have conversation. It's good to have disagreements. And there's some big disagreements coming on that album's episode. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, like, this isn't my personal list. This isn't my personal top 20. It's a top 20 from three different people who spend all year listening to music. And it's a reflection of that. And as a result, it's going to be interesting to go through. So with that, at number 20. That is Zulu Screams by Gold Link. You may have seen Gold Link's name in the news lately. Uh, there was a whole controversy with regards to Mac Miller. Um, Gold Link wrote an Instagram post in which he appeared to kind of suggest that he believed that the late Mac Miller used his music as, quote, an actual blueprint for his 2016 album, The Divine Feminine. Anderson Pack would come out in support of his uh his, his lost friend, I suppose, and was basically saying, no, you're full of shit, this sucks. So before that controversy occurred, he released some really, really good tunes, including Zulu Screams, which is a Craig choice. And we had this situation where we came down and we had some ties. So we had this weird thing when you're ordering the list where you have to kind of either assess the value of number 20 if you have three number 20s and there's not enough spaces to go around and then you have a situation with other songs where well these songs all got the same amount of points and what order should they go in and you get into these kind of weird nitty-gritty stuff that alternatively is incredibly fun and is also incredibly silly and you're just like well, why are we arguing so hard about this one um but this song was it was very clear uh, when it came down to the tie break between this and one other song that this was the one to go in and the other one was the one to go out. Uh, it, it was a completely unanimous decision. The three of us were just like, well, there's just so much uh, richness to this one. There, there's so much of a vibe to it. It's unlike most of the songs that we have on this list. And it, feel, it felt like it was good to kind of to put that in there. Ultimately, uh, I found it to be really kind of summary, really, really fast paced, very enjoyable. I like the switch ups quite a bit. And I think it's a very, very strong choice to kick off this list. At number 19. I've just been doing the same shit I've always liked. Smiling to the audience. Like smoking in movies and homies who bring me wine. I've been going out too much. And talking about myself too much. Smiling to the audience. I can be good sometimes. I'm a cheap queen. I can be what you like. And I can be bad sometimes. I'm a real queen. That's King Princess, and the song is Cheap Queen, taken from the album of the same name. Now, when I was 20 years old, I worked in a video store, and I had spent some time in school, longer than most people do, and I'd spent myself in the situation where I was like, okay, the last thing I can do is go to college, because I'm too scared of the idea of doing so. I'm too scared of people, and scared of crowds, and further education. So I worked in the video store, which was my dream fucking job. But I don't think I was really accomplishing much of worth, really. You know what I mean? I, I was very much in a situation where I was getting to do this thing that I'd wanted to do since I you know, became hooked on the film Clerks when I was too young to have even seen it. 
I was very much going through that phase of my life and I wouldn't have regarded myself as a creative person in any way. And I'm not like, I'm creative in some ways, but not in others. The reason I mention this is because King Princess is 20 years old and she's making incredible music. She's making incredibly thoughtful pop music. And I, I really, really love what she's putting down and, and how she does it. I mean, I was it was no surprise to me to learn that there's a Mark Ronson connection here. Um, not a crazy one. I mean, she's signed to his label. But, I mean, it's that kind of lived-in pop music, I think. It's that kind of really kind of you can walk alongside this thing and you can kind of feel like it is reflective of the life that you're living as well. There's just something, there's a sense of time and place to it. It's a song that is quite short. It's like it's under three minutes long, and yet it gets so much into it. It has a personality. It has a character. It has a drive. And I, I know that this was also one that Dahi was championing quite well. And I know that he's particularly attracted to pop music that makes you think and makes you feel. And, you know, it's that kind of envy thing where you're just like, oh, man, I wish like, you know, I wish I had the ability to kind of conjure these things up. But instead, I just make lists about them. At number 18. So I'm a lead this nigga. Don't believe me, nigga. I was make believe it, nigga. It was only one season, nigga. MOD, my nigga. Money of a dick. Money of a dick. You should stop breathing, nigga. You must be the only child. Because you're so stingy. I just wanna go fuck wild. When you don't defend me. I've been on the fucking proud. I've been counting minis. You didn't turn my heart so cold. Now, in last year's podcast, um, again, we had those kind of. We had those kind of fights. We had those kind of watch it get in, watch it, watch us, watch us misses the cut kind of debates, uh, which can be endless and can be circular. And we, we try and be as ruthless as we can. Uh, Craig was a huge proponent for Tierra Whack and Whack World from 2018. So this is Tierra Whack on the list with Only Child at number 18. So essentially, this is one of the most interesting rising kind of American stars at the moment, I think. Also quite young, 24 moving in an interesting direction, very prolific. And with regards to this track, I mean, like, she was releasing so many songs at one point doing her Whack History Month thing. They were very, very short, bursty kind of numbers, which was certainly attention-grabbing, but also kind of difficult to kind of sit with, I think, and just kind of really sink into. And you wondered if it was a case of just a restless energy moving from one thing to the other in such a kind of, not so much throwaway way, but one where you're like, oh, I mean, okay, I mean, like, is there... Is there, is there like a central narrative here? Is there, is there much substance to this? I think a song like Only Child, which absolutely takes its time and, you know, sits with you for a very, very long time, has an awful lot to say and does it really, really well. The, yeah, this is one of the ones where it was kind of like a yo-yo effect. I found myself coming back to it quite a lot over the, over the last few months and very much enjoying just its kind of, I guess, hangout nature. I mean, I, I've talked a lot this year uh, about how much I adore the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Take a fucking drink if you, you know, thought I was going to mention that one on this episode. And I don't know, I, I think this is something about art in 2019 that is particularly easy to kind of just, like I just said, hang out with. And I think Only Child does that quite well. It's not the most upbeat song you're ever going to hear, but there's just something to its cadence. There's something to its character. And it's fucking great. At number 17. Love you when your love ain't there. Baby, that ass is just unfair. 
jet black hair, baby jet black hair At least two grams of your blunt rap there These two hands always land up on the small of your back Should I ask if eyes can go there? You bought the drinks and I paid no care Couple more shots, we can all get to bed Yes, law, like you living on a prayer Play too much, baby, come here We peeking So I mentioned Anderson Pack there a few minutes ago, responsible for one of the best gigs I've seen all year. I saw Anderson Pack play in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. He did two nights there. I would have loved to have gone to both, actually. Um, they were both very sold out. Uh, Anderson Pack with the Free Nationals, just an exceptional performer. Like, I mean, whatever about... There's a question about his kind of release strategy, I guess, at the moment. You know, he put out two records in the space of about six months between the tail end of 2018 and then into 2019. And they were only okay. You know, there was Oxnard in 2018. There's Ventura this year. I think Ventura is the better record, but ultimately, I haven't gone back to it. I haven't gone back to Oxnard either. This is somebody who burst onto the scene so strongly with the likes of Venice and Malibu. And then there was the No Worries album. Apparently, we're getting a sequel to that one next year. Uh, He said himself in interviews that he's addicted to being in the recording studio. He's just always there. He's always making music. And I've had to fucking you know, step back and be like, why am I complaining about musicians being prolific and, you know, making music? That's their job. Who the hell am I to ever suggest that somebody shouldn't do this? We should take some time out of the spotlight. With Anderson Pack, I, I, I worry that there is, you know, again, just that thing of like, I just have to keep creating. I have to keep moving forward. I wish he would take some time because, you know, like, I think that he is capable of writing some incredible songs. I think he's done that to date, but we're getting this weird kind of glut now. At the same time, I say all this and I flash back to that gig and I was there, I was in the fucking pit in Olympia watching just this incredible force of nature. I mean, much has been made about the fact that Anderson Pack is a polymath and that he can do so much and, you know, midway through the gig, he's on the drums. He's just so strong at commanding the crowd. And the thing about it is, is, is that there's an infectious energy. There's an infectious enthusiasm to what he does and how he does it. And I think the standard track, by quite some distance on Ventura, is this song, Jet Black, featuring Brandy, one of the best features of the year. And it's just it's just so much fun. It's just so inviting and warm. Uh, I'm not a dancer. Um, I, I'm terrible at dancing, but you know, like you want to dance to the song, you want to get up with it and just move with it. You want to go places. It's really, really well put together. It's so well constructed. It's a fucking just a really, really fun summer jam. And yeah, I mean, you know, I flashback to former Noankar member Colm Regan and his seasonal song <laughs> "Effective Disorder" that he kind of has. I don't feel that even when I throw it on around this time of the year. It's it's a pick me up. And it's done so, so well. Up next. Oh, at number 16, that's Jai Paul with He. Interesting character, of course. Uh, Jay Paul, Jai Paul. Huge uh, Noankor cult hero, I guess. Flashing back to the hot press days with myself and Craig and Craig's obsession with this artist. I remember very, very vividly when his album was leaked back in 2013. And it was just pandemonium. <laughs> it was just this thing of like, oh my God, 
this mysterious artist that we've heard so much about and you know we heard the likes of jasmine and you do you, you think this guy's just going to change music itself there's just so much weird kind of hype so much mystery about him then the album comes out in, in strange fashion and you're like oh well clearly this is part of the plan right and then he himself says no 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 it was leaked to someone stole it this is not the case and i will i will explain all someday and you're i think he even said i'll explain all very very soon and then you didn't hear from the guy for like five six years and you're like oh, okay i remember being at colin's wedding in norway with craig uh an amazing day an amazing time and uh, late into the night the news broke on the internet that that album had actually finally been put out by the artist and with a and I remember running up to Craig on the dance floor and being like, Craig, you're never going to believe it. You're never going to believe it. Uh, you've never seen a man so happy. Uh, happier than even Colin on, on, on the biggest day of his life. But he put out an accompanying note with, with that with that release, just explaining what he went through as an artist and how he effectively felt creatively robbed and that someone had taken this thing from him that could never be given back. And that recontextualize that record in so many ways i mean we've had the kind of joke about it we're like oh should we include it in our albums for the year uh, even though it's from six years ago and we were like well it would be just so strange and unfair and wrong even if it is something of a masterpiece in its own kind of strange terms at the same time it's so refreshing to hear what he's at what he's doing again and of course we're gifted with new music in the form of a couple of tracks about this year this being one of them um this one called he it's i i feel so i feel like a rank amateur when i try and describe his music i feel very out of step with it because it just does something there's an unpredictability to to jay paul and how he how he moves on songs there's a signature style for sure you know you're listening to one of his tracks and you hear it. there's an identity but I don't know how he does it. I, 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 it, it there's a magical quality to this. Like his, his, the tunes that he makes are so uh, they 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 permeate in your consciousness. They move through your soul. It's it's intoxicating. It's it's there's a fluidity to this. The comparisons to Prince seem to be stepping up, and that could be a death knell for any artist. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's this guy could be something huge and something special i don't know if he's going to remain in the underground i don't know where it's going to go but yeah it's a fucking amazing song number 15 Taste the boy i need your attention i'm off balance i need some fix on i'm your puppet you are him and That's Tyler the Creator. The song is called I Think. comes from the album Igor. Tyler is an artist that I have found quite difficult to sit with. I've often been quite baffled by him. Um, not baffled by his appeal or his success. I think he's very much a singular artist and has a certain, uh, I guess, unique charisma. He's obviously got an incredible ability to kind of project a sense of confidence that's kind of mixed in a weird insecurity at the same time. Um, he's been like, I, I wonder if the personality sometimes overshadows the music, but he's been so prolific. He's made so much music over the past decade. Um, it was 
only in the last couple of years I've managed to kind of finally unlock him a little bit. This record that he played this year was, without question, for me, the most accessible. And I think a track like I, I think is, it's just got such an incredible movement to it. It's got such incredible pace and rhythm. You feel like you're being picked up and brought somewhere. And I think for him, you know, he's he, like, this was one of his most successful years. He kind of emerged something of uh, like of, of a good guy figure with regards to a chart war he was having. And people seem to really be rooting for him. He seems to have this effect on people. I, I see it from just even like people who are going to his gigs, whether it's just fucking scrolling through Twitter or whatever. People want this guy to win. They they want a hero in music. And I think, I think it, it kind of made me, you know, confront my own kind of weird barriers and doubts when it came to what he was about. Because, I mean, I was never a big Odd Future guy either. I, I didn't, I, I remember that becoming a thing and kind of bubbling to the surface and I just didn't quite get it. And I keep seeing people like talk about Tyler the Creator as a genius figure and someone that we're going to look back on in a few years time and be like, can you believe that this guy's doing all this and, and has been able to kind of break down these walls? And I think I'm starting to maybe get it a little bit. I mean, I do find it still like the work can be a bit almost isolated when I go back and I go through it. I wonder if I'm if I'm coming to the party too late. But I do think a song that I think is a very, very good entry point for anybody. And that's why it's our number 15. But at number 14, we have an act from Ireland. So that is Lancome with The Wild Rover. Now, I mean, there's been just so much conversation about Lancome this year. I first learned of them when they were called Lynched a few years ago. They've changed that name. They released a record in 2017 called Between the Earth and Sky, which was on the Choice Music Prize on the year that I was on the judging panel. So there's been a sense of prestige about what they do for quite some time. Um, But this was the year and the live long day, which is the record that this song comes from is the opening track off of it. This was the moment for an awful lot of people where Lancome suddenly became, I think power is the word. I think, I think, I think that this band have a power now. And I did see them perform at the choice that time. Dahi saw them perform recently in a more intimate setting. And he was just describing seeing something, uh, unfold. He he said that when they kind of appeared to other voices when he went to Wales, it was like Kanye West coming through the room. There was a sense of something other. There was a sense of something different and something unique and something brilliant, uh, moving amongst you know the ordinary human beings. And their record, the full album, is such an intoxicating experience. Best summed up by this opening track, I think. I mean, you talk about repurposing something. You talk about taking not just uh, you know an existing individual piece of music but an entire genre and doing something new with it i'm not a folk expert i'm I'm absolutely not and i can't make crazy sweeping statements like the one i've just made and really kind of you know back it up but i know when i'm hearing something that is tectonic you know and and has actual shifting parts and moves not just your thought process but how you feel about yourself as a human being and I think with the Wild Rover, it's a it's a ten minute song. It's one you have to commit to. But 
once it kind of gets into your skin and it really fucking does, you're not going back. And what really kind of stuck out to me on this one was that like, this is, this is up there with some of the finest film soundtracks I've ever heard. Like from the scores of Nick Cave and and Warren Ellis to, you know, I think about the Macbeth remake from a few years ago that nobody went to see, which was an incredible visual feast and an incredible atmospheric thing. The music was very drone-like. Um, you think about, you know, the late Johan Johansson and just this ability to create something that is oppressive and yet uh, so hypnotic that you just can't tear away from it. When this song kind of picks up and finally moves into its final stages and just becomes, it becomes almost dangerous. It becomes something that is, you're looking over your shoulder if you're walking down the road at night. Um, other times you're imagining, you know, the kind of the culmination of an incredible battle. You're like, your mind just fucking races. And that's what I want my music to do. I mean, I can't do it with every song, you know, surface level stuff is fine. But Jesus Christ, this is a gem. It is a diamond. I, I, I don't know if they're the perfect encapsulation of a new lineage of Irish folk music and uh, that people are kind of hailing them as, but at the same time, you wouldn't bet against them. And yeah, the Wild Rover is, it's something to cherish and maybe be a bit wary of at the same time. Up at number 13. From a 10-minute song to a 12-minute song. That is Invincible by Tool. Now, Tool came back this year. I mean, it was 2006 when 10,000 Days came out, and it's become its own kind of Frank Ocean thing of, like, we're never getting another Tool album, or we are, or we aren't, or whatever. Uh, Perfect Circle released a record last year, which was divisive, to say the least. I have a lot of time for it, but I recognise that it's got a lot of flaws. Um, but And everyone was just like, okay, this may not bode too well for where Maynard James Keenan is at, but maybe the Tool boys can rein him in. Maynard himself has said that he may have waited too long. And I think that Tool did wait too long. If this album could have come out five years ago, I don't think it would be under the level of scrutiny that it was when it arrived. And I saw this album being immediately written off. Uh, Invincible first emerged in a live setting. And I stayed away because I was like, I don't like when sites do that, when they're kind of like, Tool debut a brand new song at a festival and it's a guy on a phone filming it. I just think that's a really poor way of conveying any new piece of music to a, a human being, especially one that brings so much baggage as a, a, the first new Tool track or the first couple of new Tool tracks in like fucking 13 years. You know, you got to play a bit fairer with that one. So the, the criticism of Tool and the criticism of this record are kind of that like, it's a bit old hat. It's not terribly exceptional you know i mean like what a crime <laughs> you know it's not an exceptional piece of music but i don't know i think it might be i think that there's an awful lot to love about this song in particular i like that it's vulnerable i like that the lyrics are a bit clunky i like that they're basically talking about themselves as older men looking upon a kingdom that perhaps they once had a place in and maybe they don't anymore i like that it's repetitive i like that it hits a point where you're like cool the song should probably end now and then it goes into this hilarious kind of dad rock procession of just rattling and rolling drums and you know incredible bass lines and a 
really kind of silly guitar riff with Maynard's vocals trying to keep up with it. I love all of it. What I love the most about it is that I can't stop listening to it, that I've gone back to it so often. There are songs that are two and three and four minutes long that I, I find it hard to return to. This one's 10 or this one's like 12 and a half minutes and I, I'm listening to it every fucking time. I don't know. I just disappear into it. It's not the best thing Tool have ever done. It's not even close, but it's fucking brilliant. And I'll take that. At number 12, something very different. One, two, or bitch slap. Leave the cold to sack. Your brothers don't have your back regardless. And stick with your day one homies. That was here before you started. And fear no man but the man above your head. Pray before you go to bed. Every day my mama said. First day market. Now they hopping. All on the way because they see me popping. Big, big, large pockets. They start flocking. Here's what I say when they ass keep knocking. My daddy said just no man but your brothers. And never leave your that's Ricky by Denzel Curry. Um, for me, maybe the MVP of the year. Like, maybe just the most exciting... Uh, I mean, like, I, I, I hesitate to say new, because this isn't the first emergence of Denzel Curry. It's taken from his actual, his fourth record. Um, and I had heard of him previously through a very good friend of the show, Brother Josh, who I visited in Toronto this year. Um, but he's a young dude, he's prolific, and he's got a voice. He's got a personality. Um, it was fun actually. Um, you know, I've mentioned before, obviously that I, I write for joe.ie, which is, you know, if you, if you're unfamiliar with that website, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's an Irish website and it's aimed at, you know, it's the voice of Irish people and uh, allegedly <laughs> on a cultural level, uh, news and features and that kind of stuff. And I, I do a lot of music stuff for that website. And you know that when you're writing a story that you're, you're speaking to a broad audience, a broad church. And I, I mentioned on the show recently that like, uh, fucking 18 months ago or less when Billie Eilish did the Vanity Fair thing I wrote a story on her and my headline was even if you don't know who Billie Eilish is you should still watch this interview because at that time there legitimately would have been a lot of people who did not know who she was I was still getting to know of her around that time so if you think about the average bloke on the street may not have known that has definitely changed we've seen it of course at Electric Picnic when she headlined to the biggest crowd of all time um, the reason I mentioned this is because Denzel Curry did an incredible Rage Against the Machine cover for that Australian radio station, uh, Triple J, I think it was, like like a version. So he did this band cover of Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. And it's like so much fun, like just so incendiary and fun and furious and brilliant. And he fucking owned it. Like I was just like, OK, uh, I mean, we know now that Rage Against the Machine are in fact coming back. But if we didn't know it then... And if they never were coming back, I was like, just just put Denzel Curry in. You know, I love Zach Della Rocca, but if Zach's not going to do it again, just put Denzel Curry in. Give him the ball. He can do this. Give me a fucking album with Denzel Curry and the other three Rage lads, you know? That's not happening, and maybe someday it will, but who knows? But I wrote a story. I wrote a story for Joe, and it was just Denzel Curry's cover of Rage's, you know, incendiary, blah, 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 blah. Knowing that the audience would never fucking clue who the guy was. And, you know, you explain it in the copy, but the headline is always the trick. But with this one, I just, I didn't even explain who he was. I was just like, you know, maybe the Rage fans will give this a go. They might be curious. And, you know, uh, in dealing with the general public, you're also dealing with the general public's feedback. And you get to read very negative comments on the Facebook page when you post the stories. And most of the comments that we get about everything from the weather to the lottery to you know, what's on the fucking TV tonight to anything that is provocative whatsoever, 
you generally get some very angry and mean comments, and it can be a big fucking problem. So I was bracing myself for poor Denzel to just be destroyed by people who were like, no fucking way, rager, untouchable, don't even, don't even dare. But I was beautifully surprised that I would say about 95% of the comments were like, I've never heard of this guy before, but holy shit, he fucking nailed it. And saying stuff like, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm definitely going to check him out now. There's one comment that was like, in order to do a cover like this one justice, you have to have passion. And man, this guy has it. So I was like, this is great. This is fucking incredible. People are actually embracing this. And I was like, well, there's your fucking acid test. If you can win over these fucking, (laughs) these people, well then maybe you can do, maybe you can do something special. And then he would go on and he would do something special. And Ricky, the track on this list, uh, at number 12 is just, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. It's heartfelt. It's about something. It's about his his family. It's about his upbringing. It's about convention and how, you know, the advice that you get from, from people and maybe you're kind of wrong footed by expecting his mother's advice to be more demure, but it isn't. It's actually fucking hilarious. And then the and the father's advice is, is, is also very like maybe masculine, one dimensional, but has a crack in the armor as well. And in the midst of it all, you just have this continual upward momentum, this continual pace, Denzel Curry at the heart of everything, telling you a story and telling you in this kind of pinball machine fashion that is, I mean, it's like... I, I want this guy to fucking start a band, you know? I mean, like, he's already halfway there. And this is, without question, one of the most enjoyable songs to return to of the year. Every time it comes on, I've got a fucking smile on my face. Not so much for the next one. Here's number 11. And a battle with a word in mind can never forgive the side Of wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified I don't want to live like this Harmony Hall by Vampire Weekend. Vampire Weekend, a band that I love. Duh. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I I really fell for Vampire Weekend when they very first came out. I saw them at Oxygen in 2008. I also saw Rage Against Machine there, of all all bands, would you believe? And I I remember dancing like a fucking terrible uncle at a terrible wedding uh, as they played tracks off their first record. And I, I was just so swept up in it. It was just fun. I recognized that it was very... Uh, pompous and you know questionable in some respects but it was just a bit of a laugh and they wrote these really tightly compacted pop songs that had an instant effect and an instant audience kind of dropped out of them a little bit when the second record came out although I do think it has aged quite well like at least in terms of going back to it from having once dismissed a point of view anyway but then fucking hell 2013 Modern Vampires of the City a masterpiece, one of the great albums of the decade, maybe the second best. Um, I mean, just perfect, just wonderfully, incredibly rich and alive, a flexing of muscles, like a few other records in, like, over the past year. I didn't know they had it in them. I was just like, where has this come from? Um, and of course, with something that good, you, you're, you're desperate for more. You're desperate for a follow-up. And they made us wait. They went through some personnel changes. Uh, Rostam has left the band, of course, and gone on to do an awful lot of work with a lot of other people, some of which has been particularly strong. 
obviously particularly his work with Hamilton Lighthizer. And I wondered how Vampire Weekend would would come to be in his absence. I wonder what how big of an influence that he had. Turned out quite a bit. And it turns out all the influence now is filtering through frontman Ezra Koenig. Um, even I, I read an interview with him over the summer that basically said that the two other lads are just effectively session musicians now. They're not even, you know, full-time members. I mean, they're there, but like he's controlling everything. And, you know, he's a, he's a smart guy and he's definitely a kind of a walking encyclopedia of music. He got big into the Grateful Dead over the summer, apparently, according to Craig. Uh, not, not that Craig was chatting to him, but he was listening to him on his show. Um, and it shows in this record because it's a bloated album. Harmony Hall was one of the lead singles. And I mean, it led me to be quite concerned about what would follow concerns that I think did follow through. It's definitely uh, from, what, from what they've kind of pivoted into. It's on the higher scale of what they're doing. It's enjoyable. It is vibrant. It is colorful. It is alive. It is you know, very kind of knowing, very summery, very breezy. But when it comes on, I, I, I just kind of instinctively reach for that skip button. Um, it's definitely one of the, one of the more superior vintages of what, of what Vampire Weekend now is in this form. I kind of hope it's not the new normal for Vampire Weekend. I hope it's more of an outlier and I would like something very different next time, please. Uh, yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of where I'm at with it, because I think when we talk about the record on the next show, spoilers, I'll have a lot more to say. So let's move on to the top 10, and at number 10, the pop star of the year. That's right, it's Billie Eilish, aforementioned, with Ilo Milo, an album track from her debut record, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? She's had bigger success on the singles front with the likes of Bad Guy, which became its own kind of weird fucking cottage industry, its own meme factory over the over the summer. Uh, it was actually our song of the summer on No Encore, but did not make this list, would you believe? Instead, we plumbed for this one, which is just such a wonderful maze of a tune, it really kind of sums up what she's all about, which is really kind of fascinating dark pop, immaculately produced in tandem with her brother Phineas. I mean, for a debut record and for this kind of clutch of songs, I guess, well, not, perhaps not too surprising because there are following previously released tracks that didn't make the album and have, have been in the world for some time now. Maybe it shouldn't be such a surprise to see how far ahead of the curve Billy Eilish actually is. But Jesus, I mean, the fucking confidence of this, just the ability to kind of keep moving and keep finding new territory to kind of fall into. Um, there's definitely, as I say, a darkness about what she does. Not so dark that you, you can't breathe within it. And I do think that it is a very healthy sense of expression to kind of go down those routes, especially when you're aiming at a younger audience. Uh, there's, like, you know, there's no condescension here. There's no patronizing. Billie Eilish talks about legitimate issues that people face in their teens and, and beyond. And doesn't sugarcoat it, you know, uh, which would be very easy to do. I think she has that conviction. And for me, it's in this track when it kind of moves into that kind of dreamlike uh, final stages of the song. 
and she finds that new kind of pathway. It's almost like she's fucking, you know, like climbing a fucking ladder and climbing a wall and very much bringing you, bringing you with her the whole time. It's, it's just, it's a fucking flex of a song. It's already great from the opening seconds. It just has an incredibly inviting uh, feel about it. And the melodies are wonderful. The lyrics are very, very strong, but it's just when it, it, it hits into that kind of groove, like it's, it's, it's on the level of like a great stroke song. Like I, I could see Julian Casablanca is doing an amazing version of this. Uh, she's an innovator. This is easily one of the best songs of the year. Ilo Milo, don't miss it. Number nine though. Something kind of personal for me. Would you believe that Unsainted by Slipknot is not my song of the year? It's my most listened to song of the year. Spotify told me that one, even though it didn't need to. And it became apparent fairly quickly. So, I mean, there are some... Everyone's got their favourites, right? Everyone's got their favourite bands, their favourite artists. And that provokes such a reaction that, like, no matter what you're doing, you could be in work, you could be on a date, you could be doing whatever... And you get a notification or you someone sends you a thing or you see that, hey, look, here is a new fucking song by this artist. And you just stop what you're doing because it's time. And that was it for me back in May when this arrived. I was just like, oh, my God, I have to just fucking I have to just stop everything. I think I was in work. It followed like a good fucking eight months after, seven or eight months after All Eight Life was released, which was a standalone single released in Halloween in 2018, which did not make the album as it turns out, but they did take the name of the album from that song. So this was the first kind of single proper. And my first impressions, as is often the case with bands that I truly love, was one of not disappointment, not anticlimactic, but just kind of, I think, wariness. And I was like... Okay, I mean, it's it's definitely not bad or anything, but mm, I don't know. I don't know about that choir at the start of it. What the fuck's that about, you know? Is that it's kind of Imagine Dragons-y? And then just being like, mm, is it a bit by numbers? Is it a bit generic? I don't know, like, if, if it actually works. And then, I don't know, I mean, like, approximately three or four or five days later, I'm like, no, 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 this is actually amazing. This is legitimately phenomenal. This is one of their best songs. And I think, without question, this is their best single since Duality in 2004. It's, it has that same energy. It has that same DNA. The thing about Slipknot, and I say this as a fucking 35-year-old, I mean, I've loved this band since I first heard of them in 1999. There are bands from that time and artists from that whole period of my life, which I don't listen to, I don't listen to anymore. There are some that I absolutely still do, but like... There's definitely like a bunch that I've completely thrown out and left behind. Nice little Slipknot reference there for you. Um, and essentially with this, it's like, okay, cool. This is a legitimate fucking commitment. This is a band that I fucking adore. I just love them. I, I have a, a connection to them. And I, I'm, I'm baffled when people just dismiss them based on their image or whatever, because unsainted and the aforementioned duality and so much of what Slipknot actually do is fucking pop music. It is like it is 
it is pop music. These are this is a pop song. This follows the conventional structure of a great pop song from the audacity of its kind of Rolling Stones inflected cho- uh, chorus choir at the beginning to just giving Corey Taylor so much space and room to breathe and to construct his melodic kind of refrains mixing in with the scream thing. Sure, it's a cliche in this style of metal of like the the melody marrying with the aggressive kind of vocals, but few do it better. There's an amazing Song Exploder episode on this one in which the guitarist Jim Root breaks down the tune, which I think everyone should seek out and check out. But like, yeah, I mean, I tried to kind of pinpoint what it was precisely about this one that did it for me and it was the fact that i i just can't stop listening to it i just can't i listen to it every day several times a day and i feel alive i feel a charge i feel momentum i feel like i wish i could sing i wish i could i wish i was Corey taylor like i step i feel like i'm stepping into his shoes and i'm and i've got the microphone in my fucking hand Uh, but obviously i don't have the ability to do these things but it is that kind of weird transcendent feeling and i mean i've been very open about my mental health and where i'm at in my life on this show so often that it feels cliche at this point and obviously one of the reasons why the show is taking a break is because i just kind of want to refresh myself in that department as well and i want to just try and harness some creative energy and you know maybe just reflect on things and whatever but um, every year's every year's fucking tough, you know. And this year, I was I was I was back in um, uh, Pieta House for uh, counselling, um, and I'm currently on waiting lists to try and find alternative methods at, at the moment. It's 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 always an ongoing battle, and it's it's strange because I I feel I feel kind of more I feel less at ease t- like talking about it in terms of any kind of. Um, you know, kind of expert opinion kind of way. Um, there's been opportunities for me to like either write or maybe appear at something with in relation to mental health, and I've I've turned them down because I'm just like, no, I no longer I no longer feel like I have the ability to do that. I don't think anybody should really listen to me when it comes to these kind of things. I'm fully aware that I'm speaking into a fucking microphone now about it, but the the kind of reason I mention this is because a song like Unsainted it gives me that charge, and I I think that. Not everything in music can do that, and not everything in art or whatever like has those elements in them. And I think when you find them, it's it's terrifically important to try and just keep them in your life. Um, I remember I've mentioned it several times before, but the Kids See Ghost record from 2018. I remember somebody saying to me, "Keep listening to that album." <laughs> I remember the first time I, I saw that message, and I was just like. You know, I was almost like resentful of it because I was just like, you know, yeah, like it just felt like, I don't know, I, I don't know what the word is, but they were totally right. And it was like, yeah, no, 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 fucking absolutely. I mean, it's it's a tonic, you know, it, like it, it's a legitimate, it's a fucking elixir. It's, it's, it's a life affirming thing. And if you can find that in anything, and if you can find it in four minutes and 20 seconds of a metal song that is kind of silly in its way, in that kind of slipknot way, that is... I mean, this is a band that are doing a fucking cruise next year, and oh yes, I will be trying to be on it. Um, I don't know, I just, it's power, and it's something that I just adore every single time. No matter what kind of mood I'm in, I will listen to it from start to finish. And yet, it's not my number one song of the year. Strange, huh? Um, it's a shame that Craig and Dahi aren't here, because I know that they would outdo me on the enthusiasm front for this one, but you know, at the same time, I guess we just gotta keep moving forward. At number eight... (laughs) 
And that's violence by Grimes. Grimes, yeah, I mean, mm, did we all bet on the wrong horse? I don't know. I don't think so. I think Grimes still has a, has a lot to, to show us. Every time she does an interview, I, I find that something less I want to pay attention to. But on the music front, I've very much been enjoying what she's been putting out lately. Um, it's strange. I've seen people kind of say that, oh, it's not as good as Oblivion. It's not as good as the, the glory days. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, there was an awful lot of noise around her emergence. And then Art Angels came along in 2015. And I really enjoyed that record, but I didn't think it was kind of half the masterpiece. Some people did. And then retroactively, I've seen people dismiss that record now and say it was garbage. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the most kind of unique figures out there. And I just, I've always enjoyed the kind of aesthetic that Grimes brings to her music. She's been putting out singles over the last kind of few months that haven't been five-star classics, but there's something about them. There's something genuinely intoxicating about them. And I remember Dahi kind of bringing this one my way and just being like, we were driving down uh, the Keys in Dublin and it was dark and it was raining and there was like kind of neon signs and stuff. And for a brief second, I was in Blade Runner 2049 with this song absolutely fucking blaring. And it was amazing. I was like, yeah, this fucking, it's just cool. It's a cool song. It has such a great fucking atmosphere to it. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't look to Grimes for the greatest of songwriting. I look for Grimes to create a mood and to create a world. And that's kind of what she's all about. I don't necessarily want her to morph into some kind of terrible black mirror AI figure that, you know, isn't actually a human being anymore, but whatever. I'm excited about the record that's coming. I love this track. It's just an easy, smooth listen, one that's incredibly enjoyable to throw on. And yeah, it's 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 kind of as simple as that one on this one. Number seven. Big Thief with the title track UFOF from the first of two records they released in a six-month span in 2019. Kind of their year, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, they've been around for a little while, but Jesus Christ, like, you couldn't avoid them this year. Very much the uh, hipster darling band, <laughs> if I may say so. Um, this is, yeah, I mean, I've kind of struggled with Big Thief. I've kind of um, not quite got it. And I still don't quite get it. Uh, again, more to discuss perhaps on another episode of the show. But yeah, because I, I found that like the spell that they cast when this album and this song in particular emerged earlier this year amongst my friend group was just one of, I was like, what's going on? Like, like, like what's actually happening over here? What, wh why is every review as glowing as it can possibly be? What is it that is with this band? And what is going on and i mean like it's you know like it, it's it's well-tuned folk music with a you know ability to conjure up uh, a universe and you know populate it with all these kind of incredible things that you fall in love with but i still don't quite understand it i still don't quite it hasn't quite swept me away i mean like this one definitely is is one that works i think though i mean like it's it's got that dreamlike thing it's got that 
not even just so much a dreamlike thing, uh, kind of similar to what Jape was exploring on his recent record, Sentinel. It's got that thing of being in that kind of half awake, half asleep state where nothing is quite real and everything is kind of terrifying. And you don't know where you are for that split second when you wake up. You know, when you wake up and it's like, oh, thank God I'm off today. I'm so happy. And then like five minutes later, you're like, um, actually, no, no, I'm due in an hour. Fuck. Or vice versa. Like, I woke up this morning being like, what time am I in again? And then it was a case of, no, 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 you're not. It's all good. But don't worry, Dave, you got to record a podcast all by yourself and you're going to totally fuck it up. So, yeah, it's just that kind of, I guess the highest comment I can pay this track is that there's danger to it. Even though it's so kind of, you know, floaty and wistful and inviting in that way, it definitely has a certain kind of maze-like thing going on in it. It does a lot with a little I wish I fell in love with Big Thief the way that so many other people did this year. Instead, I kind of fell in a bit of like, and that's not the worst thing of all time. Number six. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? Why do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? When we all fall asleep, where do we go? Listen. Keep you in the dark. What had you expected? Me to make you my art and make you a star and get you connected. I'll meet you in the park. I'll be coming. Billy Eilish again. Bury a friend. Um, again, like, I think the thing I like the most about Billy Eilish is what she represents. But even that is, isn't enough because I think that she's capable of doing an awful lot. I mean, she seems like a very likable person. I've very much been enjoying keeping up with her interviews and that kind of thing. And I think. It goes back to uh, when I was 17, I, I felt very like, I thought I was a fucking adult, you know, I, I thought I, w- I knew the world, I thought I knew everything. Um, almost that many, well, more than that many years later, I don't know the world. <laughs> I don't know much of, of, of anything at all, really. Um, life experience is important, but that kind of feeling of being 17, 18 and thinking that you're on the same level as people. And the truth is you are on the same level as people, you know, like you haven't lived the way that other people have, but you do have an awful lot to say. And I think it's important to, you know, it's very, it's, it's difficult to not mention Billie Eilish's age when you talk about her because it's, it, but not in like a fucking, the stripes way. It's not a gimmick. It's a, it's a facet. It's an element. She supersedes it for sure. I think it's important that there isn't condescension or patronization when it comes to Billie Eilish. And to be fair, there really isn't a lot of it. I mean, most people seem to just be like, she's just really fucking good at pop music, man. And here's the thing. The reason I'm mentioning all this is because I did get to see her. I saw her twice this year. So I saw her Electric Picnic and it was awful. She wasn't awful, but the crowd was because it was just such a crush and it was really poorly planned for I mean, there was like 57,000 people in the main arena at Ledger Bidden again. I was in the middle, naively, thinking, I know this is going to be a big moment, I'm here to review it, but I thought I was in a fucking safe little spot and I had to just leave and get the fuck out of there. I literally left way before our set was over because it just was so unenjoyable and people were just slamming into each other. That in and of itself is the mark of a moment, it's the mark of a hysterical thing happening and she does bring that reaction from people. She talked about in interviews recently that her fans are like fucking so hyped for her that it can actually become this kind of scary, overwhelming thing even for her. Um, So yeah, it's like, you know, it was like being in a fucking metal band crowd crush at points. I was like, Jesus. So I left and I didn't even finish the set. 
And the reason I mostly did that was because, thankfully, I had gotten to see her live a few months prior in a much smaller venue, the kind that she will probably never play again as long as she lives. I saw her in the Shepherd's Bush Empire in London, and that was amazing. It was just an unbelievable thing. The crowd were absolutely rabid. I've said it before, but like when she first came out on stage, a fucking legion of phones went up as one, and it was terrifying and awful because, you you know, phones at gigs suck. But at the same time, it felt like the right gig for it. It felt like almost part of the show, like a reflection of a generational thing. The crowd were obviously very young for the most part, and I likened it more to a metal gig than, you know, a fucking Westlife concert or something. Do you know what I mean? Because it was like, I f- it, it felt like the gigs I went to when I was 17. It felt like like going to like Slipknot and, and, and whoever else. And, you know, it was very much like, the kids are all right, you know, like that was very much the, the feeling in the room. And it's the feeling with Billie Eilish in that like she speaks to a generation of people because she speaks to them with respect because she is them. And it's it's a case of not shying away from real problems that people have. And I mean, I think they've always been there. Social media has given people such a voice that it's become a cliche for teenage teenagers to go on the Internet and talk about how much they want to die. And I think that people often dismiss that because it becomes its own kind of weird, spiky meme or something. But these are real issues. And when I was a teenager, I dropped out of school because I was suicidal. You know, I fucking got help. Um, people die young. These these are real life issues. Billy Eilish herself has talked about these kind of things. And I think for her to use her platform to connect in with people who feel vulnerable, not that every Billy Eilish fan does, you know, like... Again, there's no such thing as a fucking easy generalization when it comes to this kind of thing. But I think Billie Eilish, in the music that she makes, the person that she is, the person that she puts herself out as on stage, and the connection that she she represents for an awful lot of people who may feel that they don't have someone that they can look up to, I think she's an incredibly important figure in music right now. And it, it's really, really helpful, I think, that the music that she makes is so fucking good. And Bury Your Friend is an extremely good example of that. It felt like a step up. It felt like a next level. It felt like something was about to happen. Um, we kind of saw it in the months prior with songs like When the Party's Over, but Barry Friend really felt like the announcement. This is going to be big. She is going to be something different, and she's going to change what fucking pop music is. That's a grandiose statement. Maybe that's not the case, but you cannot de- deny the command that she has. So at this point, we'll move into our top five. Now, the top five... <laughs> is a strange one because it's supposed to be a debate and it was a debate and we ended up with five songs and it was a case of how do we decide what wins so to speak um so i can't do that debate as one person uh, and i think it would be kind of weird to even just kind of report back some kind of highlights from that debate because i don't really have them in my head and it'd be unstructured but what i will do is you know i will reveal them the way that we reveal them and so our top five in alphabetical order, for the artist, not the song, is as follows. First up. Big Thief and Cattails, 
Up next. That is Claro with Bags, the third song on our list. FK Twigs and Cellophane. Number four. Hayden Thorpe, formerly of Wild Beasts, and the song is called Love Crimes. And the final song in our top five is... is Tom York of Radiohead fame and Don Chorus. Now, after we debated for approximately half an hour, we managed to rank these from five to one. And I guess that's how I'm going to have to play it. So, in fifth place... Big Thief and Cattails, primarily because we kind of we kind of felt that Big Thief was like maybe better represented by what came before. Uh, certainly for me, I mean, Cattails is one of those songs where it's like, sure, yeah, it's it's a nice little Big Thief song, but it didn't quite have uh, the resonance I think that UFOF did, and certainly not a song like Not, which is on Two Hands, their record that came out six months later, which for me was without question the best Big Thief song I heard this year. A song that I was legitimately shocked did not make it into our top 20, and I think it really, really should have. But again, you know, democracy of the list, that's how we play this little game. So, yeah. Cattails, I mean, it's a good song. I like it. Is it a top five song for me? It absolutely isn't. Um, It very easily without any much real fight represented our five like nobody had to really kind of go to bat for putting it down there nobody went to bat for putting it any higher and so that is our number five of the year uh it got a bit more complicated our number four is love crimes by hayden thorpe and in that situation 
uh, I was so buoyed by Dahi's enthusiasm for this one. Dahi saw Hayden Thorpe perform at other voices in Wales when he went over to perform there himself. Uh, for anyone who does not know Hayden Thorpe, as noted, he is a um, former co-frontman of Wild Beasts, one of the great bands, honestly. I just... Uh, an incredible privilege for us to see that band go out the way that they did. They played an incredible career-spanning set in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. I was like fucking five feet away from them. You couldn't ask for a better night. And they've the two frontmen have gone on to do very different things. Hayden Thorpe, um, in well, different things by contrast to each other. Hayden Thorpe's path so far is definitely more in line with stuff we have heard before in Wild Beast kind of territory, particularly... Uh, Dreamliner, the closing song off Boy King, their last record, that kind of feeling the way to the piano keys, that kind of introspective man in a room and his thoughts and the delicacy of that and where it goes is very much translated to Diviner, his debut record. Now, Love Crimes is kind of one of the more, not so much adventurous, but definitely one of the more, I guess, jaunty songs, while also still being laced with a fairly heavy sense of existentialism. Uh, He has a voice like few others do, it's very, very compelling. I mean, he doesn't necessarily need to go too fucking hard with it or do too much in the way of, I guess, elaboration. The, the record itself is, is minimalistic in lots of ways. It is stripped back and it works on those terms. But Love Crimes has a lot more to it than I kind of first realised. And it was, again, through Dahi kind of seeing it live and coming back and being like, this is actually one of the best songs of the year. That made me kind of revisit it. And I was like, yeah, fuck. Oh my God, it, it is. It, it's, it's, it's like a three-act play you know, in, 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 a, in a very kind of small sense of that, I guess, terminology. And it's just got an absolutely beautiful heart to it, which, you know, is always welcome. Number three on the list... So that's Clara on Bags again. And yeah, I mean, a very interesting character. I had the pleasure of playing this song for Dolly in his car. When everything goes back to that car for some reason. Um, over the summer. And again, kind of speeding down the fucking road. Not speeding. There was no laws broken. I just want, want to point that out. Uh, going at a very legal pace. Uh, <laughs> as the sun kind of blasted through the windows. But again, like, you know, like precautions were, were taken. Please don't report us. Um... And it was it was nice. It was just really fucking nice to to play this song for my friend and for him to take that song away. And then I I think it was like his song of the year for quite some time. Um, it's just a wonderfully confident dance of a song. It's got Rostam on production. Uh, I know Craig and I talked about you know does Rostam get in the way a bit a bit on her work? Maybe maybe not. I don't think she's overshadowed. I think that there's a certain level of um, structure stages on this one that kind of ascend in just the right kind of way. But she's the kind of wonderful constant that kind of runs through it. It's a very evocative love song. Um, It's one that you can definitely place yourself into. And it's also just a really, really fun, enjoyable listen. Um, Yeah. It's strange. At one point, I thought it was going to be our number one. There was a point running up to this in the kind of weeks preceding. And I was like, it's definitely going to be Claro Bags. It definitely is. And as such, I started to kind of really kind of hyperanalyze the thing. And I was just like, I mean, is it the song of the year? Is it not the song of the year? And I think I kind of missed the point of it somewhere along the way. It was, it was one of the great first listens of 2019. And it's one that managed to kind of will out. Like The more I listened to it, the more I enjoyed it. 
it never really lost its rhythm for me or its punch, but I will just never forget those first kind of few lessons. In particular, hanging out with my friend and just being like, hey, this is fucking awesome, isn't it? And that's that's something I, I absolutely love the most about what we do. So we then were in a position where it became apparent, it became apparent pretty quickly that the top two songs, it was going to be between Tom York's Don Chorus and FK Twig's Zellophane. Two songs that are, uh, depending on the day, <laughs> incredibly, um, I don't want to use words like damn beat, but it's going to be very hard not to. <laughs> so uh, seriously emotional, seriously kind of um, taxing on the soul, I think you might say. I mean, I don't like when music is kind of dashed off as being some kind of depressing thing or like dispirited or fucking hopeless because I, that's not what I get from these songs. But the more we talked about them, the more we kind of realized that like Tom York is making an incredible statement on Don Chorus. He's making an incredible piece of music that is so affecting. It, it genuinely seeps into you. It, it becomes part of your bloodstream and it's a challenge of a song. They both are. They come on on shuffle and you might have an immediate kind of knee-jerk reaction to knock them off because you're like, oh, fucking hell, <laughs> I'm in for it now. And obviously Tom York, his entire career with Radiohead and, and his solo work has probably had to deal with such kind of, I guess, not so much preconceived notions because I do think that his work has um, attracted a certain level of emotion and mood. It's... It's, it's the work of a genius, Don Chorus is. And I remember it coming out at the time and I remember talking to people about it and just being, everyone was just shell-shocked by it. They're just blown the fuck away. They're like, oh my God, this is just so fucking real, so raw and just so heavy that it's impossible to deny. And there came a point when I was like, as much as I think the song is absolutely brilliant, I don't know if I can, if, if, if my 2019 can be summed up in song form by something so, um, again, I'm, I'm struggling for the word here because I don't want to get it wrong, but just something with so much weight in it and so much portent that was like, okay, I mean, it's brilliant. It is brilliant, but can I champion it? Like, can I... Can I really hold up the foreboding nature of this thing and, you know, have that be the signal of, of the year that has gone by? And then that became a thing where I was like, fuck, well, I mean, let's just really, like, I can't dismiss the song for those reasons. I can't be like, oh, wow, it's a bit gloomy. Like, what the fuck? It's a work of art. It's a work of art. But what I realized, I think what the three of us collectively realized at the table was that, like, this was a statement made by somebody who is so strong at doing this. It's almost effortless. There is an undeniable difficulty to the track. I think at one stage one of us was like, it's basically Brexit in song form. Um, and it's not so much that it's defeatist, but I found it very hard to find the cracks of light in there. And that's kind of what I live for with music. It's what I love doing uh, with music. I, I, love, I love songs that have decay in them. I love songs that are aggressive and brutal. Um, and oftentimes it's because I do find a way out and with Don Chorus, it would just, it, it would floor me 
it, it would floor me and in, in the sense that it would take. And I was just like, this is genius. This is brilliant. This is amazing. But I can't have it up there as song of the year. However, um, it was never going to be my song of the year because my song of the year and the no encore song of the year for 2019 is in fact Cellophane by FKA Twigs. And I came to that realization with this song a few, definitely a few weeks ago, but perhaps even before that. I mean, that song arrives kind of earlier in the year and it was very clear very quickly that it was brilliant. I'd actually like to go back and listen to what we said about it at the time on the show. I know I admired it more than I adored it. And then somewhere along the way, I didn't have that thing this year where I was like, that's the song of the year. You know, even with Unsainted by Slipknot, as long as I obviously clearly fucking worship. It, and it, one that hit me in so many different ways. It didn't hit me in the way of like, this is without, without question, the number one song about like, uh, of 2019. This is just, you know, this, like, this is, there's a physical intrinsic nature to these things for me uh, when it comes to, the album of the year, the song of the year. I think back over the last few years of doing No Encore, uh, I think about the albums that we've put up there as our number ones and my own kind of personal choices, and like Blonde by Frank Ocean, Coco Sugar by Young Fathers, A Deeper Understanding by The War on Drugs. Like, they were my personal picks for those years. Um, all three of those records made me physically feel something. They had a They had a physiological effect on me more than anything else, more than any fucking rambling critique that I could possibly think of. It was just a case of, I knew. I just knew. And with cellophane, I knew. And there's a kind of variety of reasons for it. And I think, you know, there's... It's weird to say I don't want to get too personal on a show where I've definitely already done that. Um, But there is a specificity to this song um, with regards to myself and things I've gone through uh, recently in my life that was like, yeah, okay, well, this speaks to me on an intense level. Um, And rather than avoid those feelings, I leaned into them so hard because that's what this song does. This song leans into uh, human emotion and everything that comes with it in such a way that I was so impressed by the ownership of it. We've talked about FKA Twigs and we've talked about you know, what this album and these songs are going to be associated with for some time, which is her very public relationship with a very famous movie star and the fact that they broke up when they were engaged. And there's some very, very ugly side elements to that involving the fan base that she was exposed to and very much not protected from. But of course, it means so much more than that, I think. And I think it would be unfair and a bit reductive to simply hang that label on the and and I think that there isn't anything else to it because there's so much more to this song. There's so much more to her work in general, but this one in particular was the encapsulation of an artist who I think has been doing incredible things for quite some time now, but this was truly, truly worthy of that word incredible uh, in line with the way that she performs it live. And just the fact that to me, it really, really feels like we're going beyond something here. We're being entrusted with something, something special to take care of. Um, 
it's so confessional that it almost feels, I think it was Craig who kind of pointed this out, it almost feels like too private, that maybe we shouldn't be in on this one, but instead we are. And it's a confrontation and one that's kind of put out into the world. You know, she has talked quite um, explicitly about what the song is about, even beyond those kind of uh, gossip column elements. Um, so it's not the most opaque thing of all time. You know, it's it's fairly cut and dry in a way. And so is life and love and heartbreak and all these things. And for me, it's even in its placement on the record where where it's in there, it comes along as the most graceful uh, death and rebirth of perhaps of the year. And I think it takes real power and honesty to do that and real conviction as an artist. And every time it comes along, uh, particularly in the context of the record, I feel this kind of strange sense of relief. I feel this electricity. And it is like Don Chorus and that when it comes along on your Spotify queue, you're almost like, you're almost hesitant and you're almost reluctant and you're almost like, oh, fuck no, I just got to throw on something breezier. But once it gets going and you're in with it, you're you're there, like you're completely with it, and you go through the you go through not the motions, but you go through the emotions of what this is. And every time it gets to the outro, I mean, again, you can apply it so literally, but it goes beyond it. It it, it goes beyond external doubt. It becomes internal conflict, but somehow. There's something in there that tells me you can learn from these experiences and you can be a better person. And at the same time, the things that you shared with others do matter and do mean things. And like, it's just exceptional. Like the kind of soul piano line after such a huge build on a song that really isn't even that long. And she says, they're waiting, they're watching, they're watching us, they're hating, they're waiting and hoping I'm not enough. And I'm just fucking, every time, I'm just utterly torn asunder and I, I i don't know it just has this exceptional thing that runs through you that no other song this year did um which might be a good thing because fuck <laughs> imagine imagine having to to be so racked by it but i don't know it's devastating and it's incredible and i think that it's it's one of the most unbelievable realizations of of, of living that anybody has put out there in any form in any piece of artistry and you know fucking thank you <laughs> thank you for fucking for putting this out into the world because jesus christ it's just it's sublime and it's special and i think it's quite perfect and i would not have been leaving that fucking table with the boys if this wasn't number one so thankfully it was uh yeah and so listen i mean that's the episode um as I said at the start of it, I want to look at what the show could be and how it can be improved. And it's probably, the answer is probably not me with a solo microphone. Um, but I hope this was okay, because it really is the only thing that we could do, uh, given that the year is about to shut down and everyone's up against it. So if you listen to this whole thing, um, <laughs> thank you very much. And I promise you the next episode will be uh, not as abundant with my voice because I will thankfully have the boys back with me. And it was a really interesting discussion on the album side of things. And yeah, so thank you for spending some time with me and we'll talk again soon. 
The new encore song of the year for 2019 is FKA Twigs, Cellophane. Stuff Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day.